this year, Lisa and I are going to celebrate our 30th anniversary. I met Lisa 33 years ago at a Christmas party in 1977. And yes, I did wear leisure suits at the time. And over the course of that night, Lisa and I, we, we talked, we laughed, we enjoyed each other's company. And being the painfully shy person that I am, I worked in several opportunities to kiss her that night. So towards the end of the party, I asked her if she wanted to go to the Sonic with me and get something to eat. And then afterwards, I would give her a ride home. That's when she told me that she was actually on a date with one of my friends. <laughs> He'd been upstairs at the chow line and watching some football upstairs, so he didn't know where the party was at that uh, I'd been making out with his girlfriend. But anyways, I said, there's no problem there. I'll just go tell him that I'm taking you home. And she said, well... I don't think my mother would like that. Because I'm on a date with him and he picked me up, I really think that he should probably take me home. And I said, well, that, that's not a problem. And the reason it was no problem is because I'd already kissed her several times. And I'm a great kisser. <laughs> so if he happened to give her a good night kiss, well, that would just seal the deal for me. Because when she compared the kisses, it would be a no-brainer. You know, it's like I used to tell my friends, if you don't curl her toes when you kiss her, then you're doing something wrong. But anyway, of course, the rest is history. I took her to my senior prom, and here's a picture of us at uh, our senior prom, actually right outside. I want you to notice the cool tux. It was the 70s, and the only guys who wore the classic black tuxes were those who couldn't get a date, and they sat with themselves over in the corner and never danced all night. Anyways, Lisa and I, we dated for about three years, and then we got married. And I just want you to know that I was crazy about her while I was dating her. And that's simply code for I was doing things that were out of character for me. I go to see chick flicks with her. I talk with her on the phone for hours. I do romantic things and buy her thoughtful gifts. In fact, uh, between her junior and senior year, she went to Girl State. And it just happened to fall on her birthday, so I didn't get to celebrate her birthday because she was at Girl State. So what I did is I delivered a dozen roses to Edmond, Oklahoma, so all the other girls could know what a great guy that she had. Now, I'm not a gift giver. I just want to say that right up front. But when I was dating Lisa, I went above and beyond to win her love. The Christmas before we were married, I got my sister to actually make a stocking for her, super-sized stocking with both of her names on it. And I went out and I bought 10 to 12 gifts, and I filled that stocking with those gifts, and then I gave it to her mother and said, but if you don't mind, would you put this on the mantle? So when she comes into the living room on Christmas morning, that's the first thing she sees. And I still have the stocking that I gave her. Would you like to see that? I, I thought you might want to. This is kind of going down memory lane. And by the way, last week's uh, leisure seat was not one that I had. I ordered that off the internet. But here's the stocking, Alan and Lisa, and I found out how much it means to her because we had to get up in the attic to try and get out. It was used only once. I guess she thought it was a little cheesy, but I just wanted her to know that I loved her. Now, the reason I did all of those things was because I wanted to win her heart. I wanted to capture her heart. And that's what men do when they fall in love. They pursue the woman they love. And that's really a good way to describe it. Because if you look up the word pursue in the dictionary, you'll find these definitions. Number one, to follow in an effort to capture. Two, to strive to gain or accomplish. I had a mission I wanted to accomplish. I wanted to gain her love. 
Three, to attempt to gain the love or affection of a person of the opposite sex. So when a man falls in love with a woman, what he does is he pursues her, which means he'll do whatever it takes to get the girl. He'll go see chick flicks. He'll talk on the phone for hours at a time. If he runs out of things to say, he just listens to her go on and on, and every once in a while, uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then he'll buy thoughtful gifts for her. He'll take her to nice restaurants and he'll do all types of romantic things. But the reason he's doing that is because he wants to try and win her love. But women, there's something you need to know about men. All women need to know this, whether you're married or whether you're single. You need to understand something about men. By nature, men tend to only pursue what they don't have. Let me say that again. Men tend to only pursue what they don't have. That's why when a man gets married, he stops being as romantic as he was when you were dating. That's why he doesn't want to go to chick flicks anymore. He doesn't want to talk on the phone. He doesn't put nearly as much thought into the gifts that he purchases you, purchases for you as he used to, and he doesn't do all of those little romantic things that he once did. And it's not that he intentionally quits doing those things. It's just that men have the tendency to only pursue what they don't have. And now that he has you, he turns his focus on the things that he doesn't have, and he starts pursuing those things. Things like his career, or money, or even material things, and he does it subconsciously. But the wife's left wondering, what in the world happened? He used to call me on the phone just to tell me he loves me, and now the only time he tells me he loves me is when he wants to have sex. He used to write these little love notes and and place them in certain spots where he knew that I would find them. And now he never even gets me a card. He used to buy me little gifts for no reason at all. And now he forgets my birthday and our anniversary. So she comes to the conclusion he doesn't love me as much as he did when we were dating. But women, that's not true. He still loves you. He just doesn't think that he needs to keep pursuing you. In his mind, he has caught you, and it's time to move on to the next pursuit. And men, that's a big mistake. But most of us make it. And we don't even realize it because we do it without thinking. So let me give you a biblical principle. If you're taking notes, write this down. In fact, let me just scratch that. You need to be taking notes. So get your pen and your pencil out and write this down. Trust me, women, if your husband's not going to do it, you want to write this down and you want to put it somewhere where he'll read it from time to time, like in the bathroom. All right? So let me give you this principle. To have a great marriage, a man needs to continually pursue his wife all the days of his life. Let me say that again. To have a great marriage... A man needs to continually pursue his wife all the days of his life. Now, remember, I said this is a biblical principle, and let me prove that to you. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verse number 24. It says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. You know, as a minister, I've done a lot of wedding ceremonies. I don't believe that I've ever performed a wedding ceremony where I did not quote Genesis 2.24. And it's not just me. I would dare say that for all of you marriage 
couples, at your wedding ceremony, the pastor quoted Genesis 2.24. I don't think I've ever been to a wedding ceremony where the pastor did not quote Genesis 2.24. But the majority of us have no idea what that really means. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. And they shall become one flesh. What in the world does it mean to cleave to your wife? Well, let's find out. Underline the word cleave. Cleave is translated from the Hebrew word debak. Debak means to pursue with affection and devotion. To catch by pursuit. To cling to what you're pursuing. Now, I need you to understand something. Whenever you talk about the Hebrew word debak, there's always one particular thought that goes with this word, and that is pursuing. In fact, let me give you some examples of how this word is used in other Bible verses and how it's used in relationship to God. Because really, this is probably in Genesis 2, 24, and it's not the only place, but it's one of just a few places where it's referring to a husband and wife. The majority of the time, this word cleave refers to a man's relationship with God. Now, let me show you how this word cleave is used in other verses. Look with me, if you would, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse number 4. But ye that did cleave unto the Lord your God are alive, every one of you this day. Now look at Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse number 20. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, him shalt thou serve, and to him shalt thou cleave and swear by his name. Now, the word cleave in both of those verses is translated from the Hebrew word debak. Debak means to pursue hard with affection and devotion, to cling to what you are pursuing. Now, the implication in these two verses in Deuteronomy is crystal clear. Once you stop pursuing God, you're no longer considered to be cleaving to him. Let me say that again. Once you stop pursuing God, you're no longer considered to be cleaving to him. So cleaving to God is pursuing him with affection and devotion. Now, do you understand what I'm saying about the Hebrew word debak? Because you won't understand Genesis 2.24 until you understand what debak means. Debak means to pursue hard with affection and devotion. To cling to what you're pursuing. So technically, you are not cleaving to your wife if you are not continuing to pursue her. Just as you are not cleaving to God if you are not continuing to pursue him. To pursue him means... Or to cleave to him means to pursue him with affection and devotion. So if you are not pursuing your wife with affection and devotion, you are not cleaving to her. Is everyone with me? Now let's go a little bit deeper. Because I want to ingrain this meaning into your soul this morning. I want you to understand that you do not know what God is saying in Genesis 2.24 until you truly understand the Jewish culture. You see, in the Jewish culture, men and women did not date. They didn't go to school together. They were even separated in the synagogue. Men would sit on one side, women on the other. Boys worked with their fathers on the farm 
or in the family business, and the girls worked with their mom at home. So there was a limited interaction between men and women. And because most marriages were arranged, you really didn't know your spouse that well when you got married. Isn't that interesting? You really didn't know your spouse that well when you got married. So rabbis taught, based on Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, and the meaning of the Hebrew word debak, that husbands were to pursue their wife in order to win their love. And they were supposed to continue pursuing her for the rest of their life. So the romance actually started for Jewish couples after the wedding ceremony. Wow. That's really interesting. Because in our culture, we do just the opposite. We don't separate boys from girls. We go to school together. And in third grade, that's about the time you start looking over there and you go, boy, that little girl is cute. And so you have the little crushes and you start having boyfriends and girlfriends in fifth and sixth grade you start doing. Then you get in junior high and you're grown up. Now you're going out. Now that always kind of threw me because we always talked about going with a girl. But now it's going out. And I would ask my daughters, well, where are you going to go out with them? Oh, Dad. I don't know what they say today. But you see, you start liking girls and you have all of this interaction. Not only that, because we don't have arranged marriages, we actually go through a dating process. And in the dating process, the man has to win the girl's heart before she'll agree to marry him. So in our culture, the man pursues the girl before marriage, but when he finally gets her and they get married, he tends to stop pursuing her. Why? Because men tend to only pursue what they don't have. And we have their love. That's why they agreed to marry us. So once we get the girl, then we move on to the next pursuit. But in the Hebrew culture, it wasn't that way. They hadn't yet captured the girl's heart, even though they were married. So what we do is, we do just the opposite We do go through the dating process. We pursue the girl until she falls in love. And when she marries us, that's when we stop pursuing her. That's when we tend to stop being romantic, which is totally contrary to what Genesis 2.24 tells us to do. And that's why most marriages start going downhill right after the honeymoon. We're not doing what God told us to do in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. You see, by using the Hebrew word debak, In Genesis 2.24, God was telling us that we don't just pursue the woman that we love before we get married. And then once we get the girl, we stop pursuing her. Uh Uh-uh. No. That's totally contrary to what the word cleave means. The Hebrew word debak. We are to continually pursue her with love and affection even after we're married until death do us part. And that's what the Hebrew word debak means. To pursue hard with affection and devotion. And if you're not doing that, you are not cleaving to your wife. So every one of you, when you got married, I'm talking to you men. And the pastor looked at you and said, you're to leave your father and mother. You're to cleave unto your wife and you shall become one flesh. Most of you thought, oh yeah, after we have sex tonight, it's over. I've got her. But that's not what God said. He said, that's when the romance really begins. That's when you pursue her hard with affection and devotion. And they use this same word to describe the relationship with us and God. 
And what it tells us in the book of Deuteronomy is that when we quit pursuing God with our affection and devotion, we're no longer cleaving to him. And when you stop pursuing your wife with affection and devotion, you are no longer cleaving to your wife. You see, pursuing your wife with affection and devotion is more important after you're married than it is before you're married. And let me tell you why. Pursuing your wife is what makes the bond of marriage grow stronger and stronger. You see, when you're dating a woman, men, the whole reason you're pursuing them is to win their love. Whether or not you realize it, your objective is to create a bond between the two of you strong enough for her to want to marry you. But your pursuit of her is what's causing the bond between the two of you to grow. So if a man ceases to pursue his wife, the bond between the two of them ceases to grow and it eventually begins to die. That's why it's more important to pursue your wife after the wedding ceremony than it is before. So listen to me. The pursuit is how you won her heart. The continual pursuit of her is how you keep her heart bonded with you. And I want to publicly apologize to my wife. Because I was studying for this, I realized that I have made the typical male mistake of not pursuing her the way that I ought to, the way that I did when we're dating. And honey, I just want you to know, I loved you as a kid, but I love you so much more today, and I'm sorry that I don't do those things that are out of character for me to show you how much I love, and I want to apologize to you in front of everyone. So... Let me give you my own amplified version of Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. This is my interpretation of it, or translation, if you would. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife by pursuing her with affection and devotion, and they shall be one flesh. Now, how do you pursue your wife? By, or how do you cleave unto your wife? By pursuing her with affection and devotion. And when do you really get serious about pursuing her? After the wedding. So husbands, you are to continually pursue your wife with affection and devotion throughout your entire marriage. And here's how you do it. If you're taking notes, write this down because I'm going to make it as simple as possible. Some of you will go home and you'll tell you, honey, I love you. I just don't know how to pursue you. So I'm going to make it simple for you this morning. I have a lot of simple things to explain. Here's how you pursue your wife. First of all, when you think of something good about her, you need to say it. You need to compliment her. Turn to Hebrews 3.13. But encourage one another, how often? Daily. As long as it is called what? Today. So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Sin can deceive your wife into thinking you don't love her. If you don't pursue her, the bond between the two of you will not grow. And as a result of that, it will eventually begin to die. And sin will begin to deceive her that she doesn't love you either. So the Bible tells us that we are to encourage one another. But now that we're supposed to do those things in the home even more... We are to encourage our spouse daily as long as it is called today. Every day you should be complimenting your wife. Now for me that's the easy part. I tell my wife at least, I would say 10 times a day, 
that I love you. Is that not true? I tell her all the time that I love her. She is my life. But I want you to understand something. The way I express love is through affirmation. As a result of that, that comes very easy for me. She does not express love through affirmation. The way she likes to receive love is through acts of service. And that is very difficult for me. I'd rather tell her I love her than show her I love her. If I show her I love her, it's kind of out of character for me. So that's why there's a second step in pursuing your wife. Secondly, when you think of doing something special for her, you need to do it. Turn to James chapter 4, verse number 17. James wrote this, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is a sin. Now let me give you an example to illustrate what I'm talking about. Let me give you an example to illustrate that when you think of doing something special for your wife, you're to do it. This week, or this last week, I guess Sunday is really the first day. No, I guess it's not Monday's first day of the week. So this last week, Lisa was talking about how much she likes cookie cake with icing. See, she loves dessert. Her favorite dessert is cheesecake. Her second favorite dessert, which I didn't know, I thought it was a cake from Rick's bakery with cream cheese icing. No, that's her third favorite. Her second favorite is cookie cake with buttercream icing all over it. And she will tell me the best places to get it. So she was going into all of this, and I started to do what every man typically does. I started to just, yeah, 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 yeah. Cookie cake, who wants to talk 15 minutes on cookie cake? But anyways, I thought, no, this is important to her. She loves cookie cake. So as I was listening to her talk about how much she loves cookie cake, it made me think of doing something special for her. You see, this thought popped into my head that I should buy her a cookie cake with buttercream icing all over it. And I knew that I should do that. And what does James 4.17 say? To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, it is sin. If I didn't buy her a cookie cake with buttercream icing all over it, then I would be sinning. So, honey, I just want you to know that I love you. And I put, I love you. It's a six-inch one. I really screwed up. It should have been a minimum of eight inches because she can finish this off in one meal. But anyways, <laughs> this says, I love you, and there is your cookie cake. Because I do love you, and I'm thinking about you all of the time. Now, husbands... That's what we're supposed to do. When we think of something good about our wife, we're to say it. When we think of doing speci something special for our wife, we're to do it. But what about the wives? What responsibility do they have in the relationship? Well, in my opinion, they get off kind of easy. But anyways, <laughs> all the other things are the difficult parts. But we're talking about building the bond in a relationship. When we're not talking about cooking and cleaning and burying the children and all of that. All right? I know you have ten times a tougher job than we do. I'm talking about making the relationship work. What responsibility do wives have in the marriage relationship? Well, wives are to be receptive to their husband's pursuit. Now, let me give you an example to illustrate what I mean by receptive. If your husband happens to be going through the, through the kitchen and he sees that the dishwasher is finished. And he thinks, you know what, I love my wife. She's always doing something around this house. So he starts unloading the dishwasher. And he's never done that before. 
You don't say when he comes in and says, I unloaded the dishwasher. You don't say, I think I'm going to faint. You finally did something around the house. People, that is not being receptive. That is being critical. Constructive criticism, whatever you want to call it, I don't buy it. That is not being receptive. He's done something nice for you, and in return, you cut him down. Now, do you think that's going to want to make him pursue you even more? No, not at all. Now, you don't have to take it to the extreme either and tell your husband, oh, there's nothing more sexy to me than a man unloading the dishwasher, and unless it would be the man unloading the dishwasher and doing the dishes. Honey, come on back to the bedroom and let me show you what that does to me. You don't have to do that even though your husband would love it if you did. <laughs> but you do need to be receptive when your husband pursues you. If you're not receptive, then your husband is going to conclude that it doesn't do any good to pursue you and he's going to stop. So let me summarize what I've covered so far. And trust me, just because I use the word summarize doesn't mean I'm concluding. But I want to summarize what I've covered so far. God has created men with an innate desire to pursue the woman he loves. In other words, to be romantic. But man also has the tendency to stop pursuing her once they get married. And the reason he does that is because men tend to only pursue what they don't have. So in our minds, sometimes after we say I do and we consummate the marriage, we get to thinking somewhere in there that, you know, I've got the girl. I've pursued, pursued her, now I've caught her, and there's nothing else for me to do. So now I'm going to turn my focus onto the other things that I've neglected, and I'm going to start pursuing those things. People, that's a big mistake. Because God created women with an innate desire to be pursued by the man she loves. Women want romance. And their desire to be pursued, their desire for romance never ends. It doesn't stop once she gets married. She doesn't say, well, I got the man now that we're married. I'm going to go on to the next thing to pursue. A woman doesn't do that. That's why women like chick flicks. See what he did and they got together and the right one. Oh, honey. And we're going, oh my gosh, I just wish someone would kill someone in this marriage. <laughs> you know, it would have been really cool if a bomb would have gone off about then. Or, you know, that's how we think. But that's also why women like to read Harlequin romance novels. They love the romance. But God created them that way because in order for our love to continue to grow instead of die, I've got to pursue my wife and she has to be receptive to that pursuit. And as a result, the bond between the two of us begins to grow. And it continues to grow to the point that when you get old and your spouse dies, let me tell you what normally happens if you've been married for 60 years, your spouse dies, and all of a sudden you look and you go, I want to go home too. I told my wife, I die first. But I'll be honest with you. That bond between the two of us has grown to the point that I cannot imagine living life without her. But it only grows if you continue to pursue them. Now, let's be honest, men. Pursuing your wife the way that you did when you were dating is work. 
And I know that you have ten times as much responsibility now as you did back then. Someone's got to work and someone's got to do this. She should know I love her by what I'm doing here. I want you to understand something. I know it's work. But the bad news is God still expects you to do it. That's why in the very beginning, the book of Genesis, the word means origins. When we go back to the very first wedding that God performed, when he walked Eve down the aisle and he gave her away to Adam, it said, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to Bach. She'll continually pursue her with love, affection, and devotion. So God expects you to work at being romantic. He expects you to work as hard as you can. In fact, working hard at being romantic is what is called the Jacob principle of marriage. Now, if you're taking notes, and you should be, I want you to write down the Jacob principle of marriage. So let's talk about the Jacob principle of marriage. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Genesis, chapter 29. I'm going to read verses 16 through 21. Now Laban had two daughters. The older daughter was named Leah and the younger one was Rachel. There was no sparkle in Leah's eyes, but Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. Ooh, good looking and sexy. And I'm wondering how they knew she had a beautiful figure with those robes on. But somehow she could wear them where you knew she's got something there, some junk in her trunk. But anyways, (laughs) since Jacob was in love with Rachel, he told her father, I'll work for you for seven years if you'll give me Rachel, your younger daughter, as my wife. Now, I want you to notice he was very specific. He said, I'll work for you if you'll give me my, your what? Your younger daughter, Rachel. And it says, Laban agreed. Agreed, Laban replied. I'd rather give her to you than to anyone else. Stay and work with me. Now, we all know the story. Jacob worked for Laban for seven years to marry Rachel. And at the end of seven years, they had a big wedding feast. But when it came time to consummate the marriage, it was Lee in the tent, not Rachel. The only problem was it was late at night. There were no lights. He went in, and to keep it kind of sexy, he kept it dark. So he slept with Leah, thinking it was Rachel. And then in the morning, when he woke up, he looked over there, and it wasn't Rachel, it was Leah. And he wasn't too happy about that because that wasn't the agreement. He'd been tricked. So look at Genesis chapter 29. Verses 25 through 28. But when Jacob woke up in the morning, it was Leah. What have you done to me, Jacob raged at Laban? I worked seven years for Rachel. Why have you tricked me? It's not our custom here to marry off a younger daughter ahead of the firstborn, Laban replied. But wait until the bridal week is over. Then we'll give you Rachel too. Provided you promise to work another seven years for me. So Jacob agreed to work seven more years. A week after Jacob and Mary Leah, Laban gave him Rachel too. Now, most people think, I don't know why, I guess we weren't paying attention in Sunday school, that Jacob had to work another seven years before he could marry Rachel. But that's not what it says. Look at verse 27 and 28 again. But wait until the bridal week is over. Then we'll give you Rachel too. Provided you promise to work another seven years for me. So Jacob agreed to work seven more years. Now notice this. A week, not seven years. A week after Jacob had married Leah, Laban gave him Rachel too. So one week later, Jacob and Rachel were married. 
But here's what I want you to see. Even after they were married, Jacob continued to work for Rachel. Did you catch that? He continued to work for her even after he had her. Now, this is what rabbis refer to as the Jacob principle of marriage. They tie this story to Genesis chapter 2, verse number 24. And they say that the reason this took place is because God wanted to have an illustrated sermon to show that after you get married, you continue to work for the one you love. So let me just kind of tell you what the Jacob principle of marriage is. This is how the rabbis would describe it. Working to get the woman you love doesn't stop after you get her. Just as Jacob continued to work for Rachel after the wedding, you need to continue to work for your marriage after the wedding. And how do you do that? You do that by cleaving to your wife, by pursuing her even after you're married. This is what rabbis referred to as the Jacob principle of marriage. An illustrated story of Genesis chapter 2 Verse number 24, a man should leave his father and mother and should cleave, should debauch his wife, cleave unto his wife. Now men, you need to take this to heart or one day you're going to be headed to divorce court. We've all heard the old saying, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Well, I'll be honest with you, the same thing applies to marriage. The road to divorce court is paved with good intentions. Many of you intend to pursue your wife. You love her with all of your heart, but you get caught up pursuing other things. And so you don't do what I told you to do. First of all, when you think of something good about her, you don't compliment her. You don't say it. And then when you think of doing something special for her, you think, well, I'll do that some other time. No, when you think of doing something special for her, you're to what? Do it. Now, men, I want to give you one more tip. If you want to have a great sex life, now every man went, okay, I'm ready for it. If you want to have a great sex life, then understand this truth. Romance is foreplay for a woman. Let me say that again. Romance is foreplay for a woman. Now, God understands that sometimes men are kind of stupid. So he made... An object lesson for us. He wanted to make it really easy for us to remember. So God created our bodies to reflect how we're turned on sexually. A man's sex organs are external. And we get turned on by external things. We get turned on by what we see. Women, you need to understand that. The romance goes right over him. If you walk in naked, he goes, Woo! Ha ha! Ha ha ha! A woman's sex organs are internal. And they are turned on emotionally. What they feel inside determines how receptive they are to sex. Now, let me just illustrate this for you. Lisa and I can get into it and I can be really angry at her. But if she goes in the bedroom and starts taking off her clothes and wants to make love, I've forgotten what we were even arguing about. You want to do what with our firstborn? Sure, of course. What do you want to do here? Oh, yeah, that's all right, honey. I love you. We're going to have sex. 
You get in a fight with your wife? Uh-uh. Doesn't matter how buff your body is. It doesn't matter if you've got a six-pack and you've got guns. You can get neck in front of her and she says, that thing's going to rot off. Before it touches me. Now, I'm sorry, people, if you think that's a little bit crass. But God made it very, very simple for you to understand. Some of you have bad marriages. And the reason you have bad marriages is because you're doing everything contrary to the word of God. And, and I'll just be honest with you, you're acting stupid. Let's go back to the beginning, Genesis 2.24. The very thing that was quoted at your wedding. Therefore shall a man, the responsibility falls upon the man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, cleave unto his wife, debak. Go study what that word means in our relationship with God. When you stop pursuing God with affection and devotion, you're no longer cleaving to him. When you stop pursuing your wife with affection and devotion, you're no longer cleaving to her. And you can be one flesh through that one time you consummated the marriage, but you will never have the bond that God wants you to have because cleaving is what grows the bond. It's what makes the marriage bond strong. Now, I'll be honest with you, men. There's something funny about it. But we'll watch, after we're married, we'll watch these chicks flicks and we'll go, Oh, golly, what an idiot. You were an idiot before you got married because you were pursuing her. The difference is now you think, well, I got her. I don't need to act like that. Let me tell you, that's why your marriage is suffering. If you love your wife as you say you do, then you give her what she needs. And God went all the way back in the beginning and said, you cleave unto her. You pursue her with affection and devotion. When you think of something good about her, you say it. When you think of doing something special for her, you do it.